Welcome to East Hills Alliance Church. We are everyday people following Jesus every day. Uh, this morning I am going to be sharing the stage with a few other uh, voices today, so uh, more on that in a few minutes. I uh, want to dive into scripture a little bit first. Uh, you may or, or may not be aware that in the New Testament of the Bible, there are actually four accounts of Jesus's life, four different perspectives. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're the first four books of the New Testament. Uh, and they all start a little differently. We know that the story of Jesus's life starts with Christmas. That's what we're celebrating right now. But each of the gospel writers, uh, gospel just means good news. So as they told their perspective of the good news of Jesus, uh, they all started that tale uh, a little bit differently. Uh, the first book of the New Testament, Matthew, uh, he starts with a genealogy. Uh, so if you're into history things, uh, they, Matthew's a great book to start with. Uh, he starts with showing how Jesus fits into the history of humanity and uh, more specifically of the Jewish people. Uh, the next one is Mark. Uh, Mark just skips over baby Jesus entirely. We're going straight to adulthood. Uh, and he actually doesn't start with Jesus. He starts with a guy named John the Baptist, who was the forerunner to Jesus. Uh, Luke, where we get most of our Christmas accounts from, if your familiarity with uh, the Christmas story in the Bible is from the Charlie Brown movie, this is the part that you know. Uh, it is the Luke story. Uh, Luke and Matthew are really where we get most of it because they're the ones who tell the Christmas story. Uh, Luke uh, starts with a pronouncement that a baby is going to be born, but that baby is not actually Jesus. He also starts with baby John the Baptist um, and then gets into the Christmas story we're more familiar with. Uh, and then we get to John, the fourth uh, last gospel, um, uh, just last in order that they're put in there. I'm not ranking them. I just, anyway, uh, I actually really like John because John starts with poetry. And he doesn't just take us back to the beginning of Jesus's life. He takes us back all the way to the very beginning. So we're going to start in John today. Uh, I will just read the first five verses to start us off of the gospel of John. In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. And as we will find out as we go through this poem uh, today, by word, he means Jesus. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him and was, nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. Uh, this is where we left off last week that the Christmas story is uh, at its core, a story of the light of heaven coming into the darkness of this world. And because the light has come into the darkness, we can have hope no matter how dark our circumstances may seem. We talked about how we celebrate Christmas with carefully crafted and repeated traditions, which is fantastic, uh, but that what we're actually celebrating uh, is a day, a time, a story that changed everything. We talked about how humans are capable of so much darkness and so much of what we experience in life it is a consequence of the darkness, either of our own choices or somebody else's choices, 
or just the curse of death that this world lives under. And we talked about how the one who was there in the beginning, as John says, has entered his own story and changed the narrative and trajectory of humanity completely. And that our hope is in the truth that he taught, in the love that he demonstrated, in the grace that he offers to all of us. Like I said, grace. That's what I really appreciate that being planted there for me. It's just the timing was perfect. We talked about how we are all uh, cursed by the darkness, by the, the cost of death that is laid on our lives and how all of us not only are capable of contributing to the darkness, but have in some way contributed to that darkness. And because of that, we are all in need of a light that the darkness in this world, the darkness of eternity, the darkness in us cannot extinguish. And it is that light that we hang lights for and that we celebrate in this season. Uh, recently, we have talked about scripture a little bit in the context of some other topics. And one of the things we talked about was how scripture um, was not written to us, but is written for us. So scripture was not written by 21st century Americans, and it is not written to 21st century Americans. And that's important because it was written by people and to people in their own context and history, through their own understandings, through what God is divinely inspiring for them in that moment, but it is for us and for our good and for our understanding of how we move through the world and interact with God and interact with each other. Uh, I want to add another truth to our understanding of Scripture today, and I will word it this way. Uh, scripture is not written about you, but it is written about us. And what I mean by that is that Scripture is written uh, not about any one individual, but about humanity's continued and repeated uh, turning to God and then turning away from God and finding out that doesn't work and turning back to God and deciding that's not everything that they want it to be because they're not in control and turning away from God and so on and so forth. So you may find yourself, I, I know I do, in that story of going, oh yeah, turn to God, uh, not a magic genie who gives me everything I want, turn away from God and so on and, and so forth. And I, I think it's important to recognize this in uh, our very individualized society, because today one of the things we're going to talk about is how the Christmas story, how the story of Jesus does change each of us. Uh, but sometimes we can start to make it then about us, the individual. Uh, this is my story um, and everybody else, well, it's the me and Jesus story. And then everybody else is sort of, uh, you know, uh, revolving around us. And we can then pick up scripture and go, okay, I'm going to open scripture today. And this thing is going to tell me all the decisions that I need to make today. And it's going to tell me uh, exactly, you know, what to eat for breakfast and uh, what to say to my boss so that I don't have to do that one assignment thing. And, what, and, and that's not actually what scripture was designed to do. Will it tell you how to interact with your boss, how to treat your boss as you have that conversation? Absolutely. Is it going to tell you what words to have? Probably not. And I wouldn't recommend repeating some of the prophets in those conversations. So just be careful which parts of the Bible you pull out of context. Um, actually, don't pull any of them out of context, and then it'll be just, just fine. 
we can make this about us, and I want to caution us not to, because it is only about us insofar as it is about the human experience, and our human experience matches in many ways, that we are all touched by the darkness. We are all in need of grace. We are all interacting with God. And the Christmas story then highlights how a baby who is light comes into the darkness and changes everything. And that includes changing each of us as we line ourselves up uh, with that light, with this story, with the love that is revealed in it. So uh, let's look at some of the ways that we are changed. Uh, This is true for each of us uh, in this poetry of John's. I'll skip to verse nine. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the father's one and only son. The unfailing love and faithfulness of God has been revealed to us in Jesus in in a new and meaningful way way through the life and teachings of of Jesus Christ. And then throughout the New Testament, Scripture talks about the experience of this love, about accepting it, enjoying it, engaging with it as an experience of adoption, of adoption into the family of God. So one of the ways that we are changed by this Christmas story is that we are changed from creations of God to children of God, from creations of God to children of God. Uh, and, and you will uh, hear people say in the world around us, especially as we are advocating for uh, loving enemies, for peaceful resolution to conflict, uh, we are all children of God after all. Uh, and scripturally, that's not actually true. And it's importantly untrue. That's a weird sentence. Anyway, it, but accurate. It's important that this is not true because we are all creations of God. Also an important truth. We are all loved creations of God. But scripture is really clear that there is a thing that happens for those who, as John says here, believed him and accepted him, that it is those who become the children of God. God is not going to force you to be adopted into his family. But he is going to love you and he is going to pursue you and he is going to invite you to come and be uh, his kid, to be loved by a perfect and holy parent, to be brought into his family, to have that sense of belonging. And I don't mean a church family. I, I mean adoption into the family of God, which theologically means that as Jesus is the son of God, and we have talked uh, recently, a couple times about the Trinity, uh, this very complicated um, but also in some ways straightforward, but also in some ways confusing uh, theological concept of God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Here's what this adoption means for us. 
Whatever rights Jesus enjoys as the son are also true for you. That whatever rights Jesus uh, experiences, whatever closeness of relationship he has with God, Jesus makes really clear later in the gospel of John that those things are also available to all who would believe him and accept his love, all who would be adopted into God's family as his children. That's crazy to me. I feel like I'm way overstating it, uh, but I'm, I'm not. It's, it is absolutely what scripture teaches, that we have become children of God. We have that sense of belonging, uh, and we, in that way, no longer have to grope around in the darkness of this world uh, trying to figure out our identity or figure out where we belong because the most important thing, the most important truth about us is that we belong to God, that our identity is as his child. Where we go? There we go. Uh, to describe this change in our status, uh, John echoes the words uh, we just read, he echoes the words that he will quote Jesus saying uh, later in his gospel. He uses this word reborn. He says, not a human plan or passion, but a spiritual rebirth. So when we are changed by the love and grace of Jesus, we are actually changed from dead to alive. We're changed from dead to alive. Now, I know that as we gather here and we breathe in and out, uh, we all feel like we are living. But many of us also know what it feels like to feel dead on the inside of heart and mind or soul, at least for a moment. Many of us could say we've been following Jesus for decades and yet we know the feeling of, of having death sit on our chest and kind of take the air out of us of feeling that darkness and all of its weight. And it feels like we just can't grasp this idea of life in Christ. And, and sometimes that's from our own choices. Sometimes we just aren't willing to grasp life. Sometimes, though, we're just not able to. The, the weight of that darkness feels too heavy. And it's part of why it's so important that we are in community in some way, that, that we would be around other people who we could go to and say, hey, the darkness, for whatever reason, is really heavy today. It's really heavy in this season. It's really hard to push through, to feel like I'm breathing, to feel like I can move through my day and to have a, a therapist to talk to, to have other people who are following Jesus to go, man, would you just, would you pray for me? Would you walk through this with me? I, it just is taking the life out of me today. To have people who will show up and say, look, I know God is with you, even if you don't feel like it. And the best way that I can prove it is to be with you myself. I know that God loves you and the darkness cannot extinguish that truth. I know that there is hope for you. And so I'm going to find some way to remind you of that hope today. 
to walk in community because in those times, we're not leaning into or living into our identity as children of God. We're not leaning into or living into this new life that we have been reborn into. And again, sometimes we're choosing that and we need somebody to help us make other choices. Sometimes we are just unable to move past the darkness and we need people to help walk us, remind us of where our identity is. Uh, Another early church leader named Paul uh, also described this radical change in a letter to the Corinthian church. Uh, This is a letter we call 2 Corinthians, further into the New Testament. Uh, In chapter five, I'm gonna start reading in verse 15. He, being Jesus, died for everyone, so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, how differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. The old is dead. We are a new creation. The new life has begun. And that new life, Paul says, also means a change in perspective and a change in mission, a change in the work that we do. So our our perspective changes from seeing humanly to seeing heavenly, which there probably is a better way to say that, but stick with me. We change from seeing humanly to seeing heavenly. Paul says that we used to see Christ from a human point of view, but no longer. We know that the world around us sees Christ as perhaps a good teacher, perhaps as a nuisance, perhaps as a problem that we should get rid of. But we know that unto us in the city of David, a savior was born. We don't just see a a new uh, teacher or um, a great teacher of some sort. We see a savior. Not, Not just somebody who is here to correct our morals and improve our behavior, but somebody who is here to save our souls and renovate our hearts. We know that we are in need of, and the world is in need of, not just a little bit of light, but the kind of light that the darkness cannot overcome or extinguish. We know that the world has turned its back on God and needs to be brought into a a reconciled relationship with him. We know that the world needs to see each other differently. That that person is not to be an object of our hatred but is, uh, yeah, not to be seen as an object of our hatred no matter what they have done, which is really hard because it's a lot easier to be angry sometimes. That that other person is not supposed to be seen as an object of our anger or of our lust or of our desire 
but is actually supposed to be seen as the object of God's love. When we see people from a human perspective, we tend to see them based on the rules that they have broken, either social rules we've all agreed upon or some rules we read in scripture or some rules that we're all making up. When we see people from a human perspective, we see the rules that they have broken. But when we see them with heaven's perspective, we see them with the love and the grace and the joy that God has spoken over them which then leads us into this new work that God has for us. In the footsteps of Jesus, we are changed from dividers to reconcilers. Our human nature leads us to choose safety over bravery, to choose easy over peacemaking. And we label people by the rules that they break so that we can break free from having to serve and love and reconcile with them. And we divide ourselves into tribes of right and wrong that we determine for ourselves so that we're more comfortable in the tribe that we're in. And and we've talked about this, but news networks and, and politicians, they know that the fastest way to create loyalty is to say, I'm good, they're bad, stick with me, and you'll be good too. And they're forcing us into tribes to try to create action and anger. And the heavenly perspective means that we don't see enemies. We see potential and future brothers and sisters in Christ. People who are loved by God and just don't know it yet. Now, again, many of us Uh, do not feel these changes every day that have happened in our lives. They may be true of us, but they are hard to realize. I know I fall short in how I see people, in how I see Jesus, in how I see myself. And we struggle sometimes to, to live into this new life that we have been given, which again, doesn't make them less true. It just makes them less realized. Uh, The author of the New Testament book of Hebrews sums this up uh, quite nicely, I think. Uh, They're talking about the uh, Old Testament sacrifice. They they go on for a while about the Old Testament sacrifice system and and what was required, these, these very carefully crafted rituals that were required of people to be able to be reconciled with God, to recognize the cost of their sin, to be forgiven and, and, and held within the community. And their point in this letter to the Hebrews is that we don't have to do that anymore uh, because Jesus has substituted himself as that sacrifice, that Jesus has given himself once for all time for all people who would accept and receive his love and believe in him. So here's the change that that has created in us, that Jesus' sacrifice has created in us according to Hebrews 10, 14. For by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. For by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. It sounds almost like a contradiction. We have been made perfect. We are being made perfect. You have been changed and you are being changed. You have been made a child of God like Jesus 
and you are being molded into someone like Jesus. And I can tell you story after story in scripture of uh, people who are changed by God and, and who he continues to, to change and mold over process. And, uh, and their stories are great, uh, obviously. But I know we also have people within our church uh, who can tell stories of being changed by God and being people in process. I know we could have dozens of you come up and share that story to some level or another. I have asked uh, four people to come up here uh, today and share their story of the change Jesus has made or is making uh, in their life. Uh, I, I did not go seeking out the most sensational stories. I actually have no idea what people are going to share. We, we are everyday people following Jesus every day. And so we have everyday stories, which means some parts of them are sensational and some parts of them are boring and most is somewhere in between. And all of it is a life that Jesus is walking us through um, and working on us through. Uh, so we get to hear these stories this morning. Nikita, why don't you come start us off? Okay, so as Josh said, I was asked to speak today about how Jesus has changed me. And as I was preparing for this, I realized that there are a million different things that I could say and stand up here and talk about and say that God has done in my life. Um, but I can't sum that up in three minutes. So I had to ask myself, um, really, what does the gospel mean to me and what has the gospel done that's changed me because at the center of the gospel is Jesus. And so for me, I grew up in a lot of dysfunction and brokenness and darkness. But even then, I can look back and see where Jesus was shining light into that darkness through grandparents who took me to church um, as a little girl and they taught me scripture and they told me how much Jesus loved me. And as a little girl, I believed that. I believed it with all my heart. But little girls grow up, and then sin creeps in. And over time, it became really difficult for me to believe that Jesus did love me, that I was loved by God, and that he would forgive me. I truly believed that my sins were so bad that... In God's story of redemption, I was the one anomaly. I was the one that, when you read John 3.16 and it says, God so loved the world, I could read it and see John 3.16 said that God so loved the world, except for Nikita, that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. And even though I didn't read it cognizantly that way, that's what I believed in my heart. And I was extremely weighed down by sin to the point where I, if I said God loved me, I felt like a liar. And um, eventually I started to get to know God's word better. I spent more time in my early adult life reading God's word. And I wish I could say that there was this light bulb moment that went on where God shone, shone his light on me and I just understood that he loved me, but I didn't have that. It's been a slow progression for me. Um, a lot of wrestling with doubt and a lot of questioning God. Um, but I finally feel like now I've come to a place where I understand that this whole thing isn't even about me. This isn't about 
the things that I've done. I mean, we are guilty. I broke the covenant just like every other person here has. But ultimately, this is about the character of God and his love for us and his desire to send his son to die for us. And that I'm a recipient of that just like every other person here that's willing to accept that. And that there isn't anything that I've done as dark as it has been that will keep God's love from me if I want to come into that. And so um, to sum that up, I'll just say that Jesus has changed me from being a girl who did not believe that she could be loved and forgiven by God to a woman who knows that God does love me. Hello, my name is Doug, and God is in the process of changing me in regards to my focus on aging, the process of change that comes with a new season of life. I was thinking back of my story as you shared yours, Nikita, and it's been about 65 years ago that I made a decision to follow Christ. And through the seasons of life, God has proved himself faithful from generation to generation and from year to year in my own experience, and I'm grateful for that. But aging brings some new changes and opportunities for new growth. I have a new favorite verse from the Old Testament, Psalm 92. It is, in old age, they shall still produce fruit. They are always green and full of sap. Now, I probably tend to be a little sappy anyway, but that is a beautiful picture, a beautiful promise of growth and change. And I, I can see that being etched through a number of experiences recently in my new season of aging. You know, when you, you know how to tell when you get old? You go to the mailbox and there are only two kinds of things that come in your mailbox. One is for hearing aids, which I now have. And the other is for membership in the Neptune Society. <laughs> That's not real hopeful news. But to hear the promise that there is growth and change and the potential for new life, that's a beautiful thing. This little book has been a part of my pilgrimage recently. It's called Aging Faithfully by Alice Freiling. I highly recommend it. It's a great read. She talks about the losses that come with age, like the loss of hearing, but more significant losses like the loss of memory, the loss of loved ones, the loss of strength and vitality. And those, are, those are powerful changes in our lives. And you kind of find yourself maybe coming up alongside Nicodemus, who met with Jesus and said, how can I be born again when I'm old? And I believe that in the process of aging, Christ is wanting to birth himself anew in us daily as we are old, too, physically, by age. I love the, the song, by the way, Jesse. You couldn't have had a better song for me. I love that one about the, the bones singing. That becomes increasingly significant to me as I get older. These bones will sing. You know, we can look back and drift through the fog of nostalgia 
or we can look ahead to the faithfulness that is new every morning in our Savior and let Christ be born again in us in that new day. Loss and uncertainty and fear can become a debilitating mindset, or we can experience expectancy, gratitude, and new beginnings. It's been a lot of focus today on newness. New song, new name, new day. All of those verses that new creation. So that's true whether you're young or middle-aged or old. And I'm grateful for that. Uh, two unexpected blessings have been a part of the experience for me. One was a, sort of the chastisement of Jesus a few years ago when somebody in the back asked me how I was doing. And I said, oh, fair to middling. Um, that's an old phrase my mom used to say, fair to middling, you know, kind of in the middle somewhere. And I thought, that is really lame, Doug. That is really, really lame. And God kind of pulled me short, and I decided to shift it. And I don't always do it, but most of the time, if you ask me how I'm doing, I will say, I am grateful. I want to shift the focus onto gratitude. That's a small thing, but big doors swing on small hinges, so we have that choice. The other is an unexpected blessing in age that I never expected. Christ births new passions, new ideas, new experiences, new opportunities. And for me, one of them has been trying to write uh, fiction, historical fiction, tied into family stories in an inspirational way. That's, that was never something I saw on the horizon, but it's been a fun gift, a, a creative gift for me from the Savior to sit, look at Mount Rainier in the morning and try to write something about that experience. So I'm grateful for that. So we can age faithfully, we can age knowing that God is in the process of continuing to change us. Good morning. My name is Carla, and the Lord had me focus on something that is relatively new in my life. Um, the place that Jesus is changing me is from holding on to anger and instead replacing it with his peace and grace. Now, I didn't actually know I had a problem with anger. I didn't see myself as an angry person. But as it turns out, this was actually, there were dark places in my life. There probably are still a few. About eight, ten years ago, I'm thinking, went on a ladies' retreat. It was uh, with ladies from this church. And after chapel time, they handed out rocks with words on them. And our leaders had said that they had prayed over these rocks because they didn't know who was going to get which rock. But they said, you're going to get a rock, and we want you to spend an hour out there in the woods with the Lord and just ask him, what is he going to do in your life, or is there something he wants to change? Well, I got out there, and I looked at my rock, and it had the word anger on it. This was not what I expected. It surprised me. There were lots of things that I knew needed to be changed in my life, but anger wasn't one of them. <laughs> and I, I didn't feel like I was an angry person. So I asked the Lord, did I get the right rock? And um, <laughs> he said, think about it. They've been praying about this. You need to settle your heart and let me show you what's going on. And it wasn't all at once because, well, truthfully, the Lord couldn't show me everything at once, or that just would have been overwhelming. But he began to show me that there were places in my heart that I was hanging on to anger. People that had hurt me, things that had happened. 
Some of them were small places of annoyance. There were bigger places of anger and even a few probably deep pits, I'd call them, of bitterness. And what the Lord started to do that night was after shining the light on some things so that we could identify them, he helped me to start releasing them, to trust him more deeply that none of these these things had happened except that he had his hand on them. And he began to replace my anger with forgiveness, which I didn't always want to do because a lot of these things that happened just weren't right. But I needed to give them to the Lord. And over time, and it's still going on, he's replacing my places of pain with his peace. Well, things still happen. Life is not perfect. I am not perfect. People are not perfect. But what I find now is that as these things happen, I've got more of a desire to instantly ask the Lord for understanding. Lord, what's going on? How do I love these people? How do I forgive? How do I extend grace? And how do I simply hand these things to the Lord so that they don't have a place to put darkness back in my heart. The Lord will care for these things. And as I finished just thinking about all of this, I thought, how good of God to shine light and to heal our hearts. Well, my name is Jesse. And as I thought about this question and thought back on my life this far, I think one of the ways God is changing me is from striving to contentment. Even as I look way back on the early part of my life, I remember how I was so fearful of pleasing God, or I was so fearful of disappointing God if I wasn't perfect enough. I really wanted to please God. And I would strive and strive to be pleasing to him, and yet God began to teach me that he is actually gracious and compassionate, um, that I'm actually not saved through my own ability to, to do the right things, but rather I'm saved by his grace as I put my faith and my trust in him. And so in many ways, he brought me from striving to please him to being at rest and content, that I can trust him, uh, like Nikita said, that I'm forgiven and loved by him. And then I think back on the most painful time in my life uh, when I experienced a significant loss. I found myself in a place where everything I cared about and hoped for had been crushed. And I found my life to not be going at all the way that I hoped it would or the way that I planned it would. As I grappled with the painful loss of some of my most closely held dreams, I was frustrated that I could not work hard enough or measure up enough to get them back. I couldn't strive hard enough to to gain the things that were now gone. And the unknown of the future was was really scary. I had to face the reality that uh, perhaps some, maybe many, maybe even all of the things that I lost would now never be realized in my life. They were just gone. And I was left wondering, would any of this be repaired or restored? No amount of striving could put my life back together. But God really has brought me to a place of deep contentment. It's not that the things that I lost were brought back, and it's not that I don't have ambitions or hopes or dreams. I still have all those things, and there are still longings in my life that remain unfulfilled, and I still have dreams that may never be realized. But in many ways, he has brought me to a place that I'm content to say, I have him, Uh, I trust him, he's working in me, He's present with me, and I can accept from God whatever he wants to give me. 
And it turns out that God really is enough. And I do see him restoring my life. I actually have real joy and real peace. Uh, I've even seen God faithfully fill the holes that were left in my life by the loss. It's, it's not necessarily that he replaced those things that were lost. Um, many of those things are still gone, but he filled them. And in this sort of mysterious way, he is satisfying me with good things. And in general, I'd say that I feel at ease to know that he's got me on a journey. And while that journey is not without effort, and it's not even without pain, it's really good. And there is progress, but not because of my own efforts, but because of this sort of letting go and trusting him. And so I still sometimes want to strive and get for myself the things that I feel I'm missing, but God really is changing me from a person who strives to a person who is content in him. And I was, I was thinking about this, and one of my favorite scriptures came to mind, Psalm 103. And so I'll just read these first five verses to you from Psalm 103. It says, Let all that I am praise the Lord. With my whole heart I will praise his holy name. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he does for me. He forgives all my sins and heals all my diseases. He redeems me from death and crowns me with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things. My youth is renewed like the eagle's. Thanks, Jesse. Uh, Thank you all uh, so much for being uh, willing to share. Uh, Anger and aging, uh, perspective and performance, love, grace, forgiveness, contentment. Maybe one of these things rings true in your heart. Maybe it bounces off of something and echoes in a way that makes you go, oh, I think God maybe wants to work on this thing in me. Remember that John said that his unfailing love and faithfulness has been revealed to us in Jesus. And Jesus continues to work on us with that unfailing love and faithfulness. Whatever we have done that we feel like would break God's trust of us or make him turn his back on us, uh, he simply won't uh, because of that unfailing love and faithfulness. What might Jesus want to do in your life in this season? What might he be working on, maybe wanting to start, maybe wanting to continue, wanting to remind you of, uh, and in that process, reminding you of uh, his love and grace for you? Uh, Let's worship him together. His team comes up. Let me pray for us. Father God, we open our hearts and minds to you in this moment. to point out the stuff that we maybe wanted to bury in a drawer in the back of our hearts and minds and you want to pull out compassionately and say, hey, let's, uh, let's maybe work on this instead of just letting it rot. <laughs> Father, what, what do you want to do in us, in each of us, in us as a community, in me, You are making a way that we are never the same because of the the way that you love us and your faithfulness to us.
Father, would you work on our hearts this week? Point out the shadows. Fill in the open parts. The gaps between us and you with hope, with joy, with experience of your love and peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for checking out our podcast. You can learn more or connect with us online at easthills.org.